Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Kevin Kelts. Glad that everybody's here this morning. Um, if you've been following along with us, we have been in a new series just entitled very simply, Brand New. And and so today, I don't have time to catch you up. If you've missed the first, I would encourage you to watch. If you've missed that, just go to our Facebook page and you can watch those again. And I would encourage you to watch them several times because there's so much good nuggets, things that will transition you from where you have been to a new place. And and it's just where we've been going. So please get all of Jesus. So just think about that. The arrival of Jesus on the planet, like really happened. Jesus came, showed up on this earth, and his arrival signaled the end of the temple model and the beginning of something brand new, totally new. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but we're really going to talk about how this is applicable to us today, how what he did, what he brought that was brand new, if we will live that way that he intended us to, it will not only change our our lives personally, our relationships personally, but really and truly it will bring his kingdom to this world. It will change the entire world. And I believe that with all of my heart. See, the challenge is, is that in, in living life, good and bad, knowing how to, to live, one of those things that we have that helps navigate that is our conscience, right? All of us have this. And so we know in certain situations, you know, like I know that I'm not just supposed to walk up to, you know, Daryl and just because he parked in my parking It's like, I shouldn't do that. I know the difference. I know that that is something in my conscience. Like, I shouldn't do that. I know the difference between right and wrong because he's got new hips now and he'd whoop my rear. We all know that. I mean, we know that. It as, so the thing is, is that that conscience that we have, it as uh, Western Christians, um, as just even growing up in the church or, or just living in the world today, that has been shaped primarily by a couple of things. Uh, A version of Christianity has shaped that, mixed, though, with the temple model. And Pastor Jared has been talking about that for weeks, what that is. We're going to go over it just a little bit this morning, what that, that temple model is. But I'm telling you right now, from experience, from personal experience, that's a problem. That's a problem if there's a on three quarters into this message today, we're really going to give you some examples of how it's literally messing your life up, messing your relationships up, and, and we're going to apply that, but I'm going to tell you how it has applied to my life, and I'm trying to get past those things. See, our approach to Christianity has been shaped by both the temple model and the Jesus model. Now, what I mean by that is this. When I say the temple model, I'm not simply just talking about, if you think about Old Testament, if you think about the Jewish temple model, not just that, but you could even go before that. This is this is the reason that the, the Jewish people wanted that, is because even before them, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, 
And they, they were able to relate to their God that way. That's why when the, the, the Jewish people saw, and, and God comes to them and says, I'm your God, and I want to, you're my people, and I'm your God, they go, okay, well, the only way that we know to relate to a God is the way we've seen these people been doing all these false gods, and so they have a temple. We want a temple, Right? That we want to do that. And, and so you go, in, and we're not going to talk about this today, but they even went, they model is built around the, and that's, that all starts to happen. But the temple model is built around these presuppositions. The first one is this, and, and, and you'll, you'll realize this. It's, it always is encompassing a sacred place, sacred places, like these sacred places that are these holy places that are these temples, you know, these uh, somehow, you know, you need to cover your head when you go in there because it's so holy or or you just have to be in a place, maybe you can't even wear shoes because it's just so perfect. And so it's this sacred place. And I would even say today, as you look at a lot of religion, we still have sacred places right? We have these places that are these sacred and holy places. And then there's also, in the temple model, there's sacred texts. There's some type of writing, some type of parchment, some type of inscription, right? Something that has been translated over and over and been copied over and over. And now we have that, and it's what we celebrate as our sacred text. And if you think about it, there's a lot of sacred texts to a lot of different religions out there. But this is the temple model that we're talking about. And there's always two in this, this uh, type of temple model. There is sacred men, and it's always men, right? It's always men. And they're saying that they're the sacred men, and that we control the sacred texts as you come into our sacred places. And then you have what we call sincere followers, right? You could call them superstitious followers. You could call them sacred followers, right? These, these followers that you could even say don't know any better because they don't even get to really think about the sacred text because the sacred men who interpret the sacred text to them tell them don't think about it. Just listen to what I say and do what I say, and I'll control you as I control the sacred places and the sacred text. And the problem is that when Jesus came along, he came along to introduce something brand New. That's how it was going up until that point. And Jesus shows up, and as we talked about last week, right, about in the fourth century, there's this sort of grassroots movement that Jesus had started called Christianity. It was called the Way. And there's, against all odds, at one point, this movement, it was illegal, and they would imprison you for it, and people were hiding out, trying to uh, just be able to live, but they're looking over their shoulder, but them to, to, to believe and live the way that Jesus had taught them to live, but they're looking over their shoulder because there's people like one of their leaders whose previous name was Saul, who used to persecute them. He was the king of that. Right, He would round them up, throw them in prisons, torture them, and kill them. But now he's one of their leaders. He's Paul, and he's going, hey, man, let's keep this thing going. And they've celebrated now for generation and generation and generation. Now it's in the 300s, right? And this thing is moving forward. And for the first time ever, all of a sudden, it had picked up so much momentum that Pastor Jared talked about this last week. There's an emperor of Rome, Constantine, and he hijacks this thing. And I would say... 
out of, I think you hear the, the story that Pastor Jerry was talking about last week when he, he kind of sees this vision and he's like, man, I'm going to put the symbol on here and we're really going to fight for God and Christianity. I, I would say also is for personal gain uh, because he didn't want to be the emperor that, that saw uh, under him the empire go to shambles and the most powerful group at that time on the earth is the way. And so he then sees an opportunity and he hijacks it and then he weaponizes it. And for the first time ever in history, if you're not a Christian, you are going to be round up and put into prisons. If you're not a Christian, we will kill you. We will go to war in the name of God. And we will say that our way is the way and that you people, you are infidels. We will go against you. And that's how it just is a total flip, man. Total flip. But this is, this is what happens in the Roman Empire. And it's a twist in history. And all of a sudden, where the way was moving forward, Christianity was moving forward with great momentum. It's now hijacked. And under Constantine, it's now put back into not Jesus model, not new covenant model anymore, but back into temple model. And if you didn't hear last week's message, please go back and listen to it. Unbelievable history lessons and things will be very, very clear to you, but, but so good. Now we have a problem. Right now, we, we, we start moving forward and, and it's when he came to this earth, he didn't, he didn't pleaded that and he entered something. Everybody say brand new something brand new. And here's what his model looked like. A couple of things. I'll put it up on the board for you. First of all, it was a new covenant, a new covenant, a brand new type of relationship. Now, no longer was there an old covenant with rules and regulations. Imagine having to memorize 630 rules and follow those laws, right? And, and it, it was no longer that anymore. There was no longer a, 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 an old covenant. It was now a new covenant. There was also a new command because they had commands in the old, the temple way. But Jesus says, you don't need those commands. You just need one command. And, and it didn't sound like a command, but what made it new is this one command superseded all the other commands, and it was to serve as a filter, please write that word down, as a filter, it was now to serve as a filter through which all the other commands were evaluated. This results in a new ethic, a new ethic to live by that was to trickle down all of the behavior of the people that would follow Jesus and thus, this began a new movement that ultimately referred to as the church, as the way, and here we are today. But the problem is, as a result of blending the old with the new, which we talked about, it happened in Constantine's reign. As a result of blending that, and we still do this today, we end up with an approach to Christianity that we think is helping us, but it is actually holding us back. 
It's stopping us. It holds us back as individuals. And as we're going to see today, it holds the church. If you were to think of all of us as not this building, but I'm talking about all the believers that call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, it holds this entire movement back in terms of our influence and effectiveness to just people. People that are on the outside looking in and we're saying, we want you. We want you to come be a part of us. And they're going, I want nothing to do with you. And we're going to talk about why they think that. For example, talking about the, the, the blending and the mixture, the problem with that. If I ask you a question, and we're just going to see uh, where you're at, kind of like you're, you are a redneck if type of that, but you'll see. If you ever felt guilty about missing church, more than you did mistreating a person, then you have some type of mixture inside of you. I, I grew up with people that uh, they wouldn't say they went to church, they went to mass. And so to miss mass was like, oh my goodness, we can't miss going to the sacred place where the sacred man is describing the sacred text because when I go there, I feel peace. And when I go there, I find a place of how people are looking at me in my circle of influence. They're going, well, listen, that guy must be a holy person because they go to that place. And if I stop going to that place, it really doesn't matter how I treat people outside of that place. But if I miss being there, man, I feel really bad. I feel really bad about myself. I feel really uh, in, in a place where I'm telling you, if that's you, you're caught up in the temple model and it's not what Jesus stood for. It's not what Jesus brought when he stepped on to this earth. If you've ever sat around trying to figure out how close temple-minded thinking, you're, you're, you, if you've ever got caught up in this debate, well, and I'm talking about with people, I'm just talking about in your mind. Is what I'm about to do, is that really that bad? You know, like how close can I get to the line without sinning? Like what is sin? Like what, what is it, you know, how much of sin is too much sin? How much is it too much than that God's going to get mad at me, that God's going to start to lose his temper, that if I do these things, like I can do these things, but if I do these things, well, you know, tell me what those things are because that's the line that I've crossed over. God's going to start doing bad things to me. He's going to start messing with my health. He's going to start because you know what? That's what God does because if I do these, if I do if I do these things, he's happy with me. If I do these things, he's mad at me. And if you live like that or ever thought that, then you still have a mixture of Jesus model and a lot of temple model thinking in there. How about this one? If you believe there is some type of ritual, right, some type of religious ritual that you can do, that if you do that, it makes you right with God, right? And now it really even kind of in a way, it removes the responsibility of making restitution to the person that you've harmed, then you've still been living in some type of mixture and some type of temple model. I'm talking about whether it's the version of, you know, we've taught people, well, just pray the magic prayer, right? Oh, God, you know, listen, I know I was horrible to my wife. And I know I, I, I said some horrible things and I treated her in a horrible way, but I'm coming to you right now. And I just want to confess my sins of commission. And I realize I did that, God, but the sins of omission as well. And I just want to ask your forgiveness. And then I, because the sacred 
the, the sacred man <laughs> that seems like he lives, right, at the sacred place who now interprets to me the sacred text, told me if I did that, God was mad at me before, but now he's not mad at me. And now I have my conscience, right, feels at peace. And I don't even ever think about going and asking forgiveness to her and apologizing to her. Years and years and years in a marriage. How healthy would that marriage be? And you're convinced, you're convinced, man, I pray every night. I go to church every Sunday. And you've never changed. You've never, because you have a loophole, right? You have a, 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 a place where you can go and just get your conscience better. See, that's temple thinking. That's not the Jesus movement. That's not the Jesus way. If your views on religion keep you from loving anyone around you, they stop you from loving someone. That's temple model thinking. And the heart of the temple model, it's really all about you. Right? If I have that temple model thinking, it really, it's all about me. Why do I pray? So I can feel better. Right? Why do I worship? So I can feel better. Oh, man, I really got close to God today in worship, man. Wow. Well, what happened? Well, I felt like God was really blessed. And how did that make you feel? It just made me feel better. I want to come back next Sunday. And it's all about you. It's all about me. You see, the temple model really is actually you-centered. But we, we, we have taken it over the years, and we've, <laughs> we've kind of Trojan horse to this thing as, you know, the sacred men teaching the sacred text and we've given you this mixture of temple model, and we've said that it was God-centered. And I'm going to tell you here in just a little bit, neither one of those are right. The temple model is really actually you-centered because at the heart of the temple model is this question. That's a good question initially, but not a very good question eventually. And the question is this, what must I do or must I believe to make things and to keep things right between God and me, right? It's all this. It's all vertical. And we think that's God-centered. We think this is God-centered. Just as long as I don't want to make God mad, I don't want to be, as long as we're right, as long as, long as it's right between me and what do I need to do? Pastor, tell me, what do I need to believe? I'll believe it. I just want to be right with God. And we show up and we go to the sacred place and we talk to the sacred man as he explains the sacred text. And that is the temple model. Because at the end of the day, my religion is all about me. My religion and the whole version of Christianity or whatever religion you embrace, it's all about trying to make sure that God is fine with me. Which means that the center of my approach to God is not God. It's just been the Trojan horse. It's actually really about what? Me, and I, uh, I can tell you guys, I lived like this for years and years and years, and it's very easy to fall back into because old habits die hard. It really is. You see, for some of you, it's how you pray. Oh, God, just I come to you in this holy moment. God, I just thank you for this day, and I just need you to help me. God, just help me. 
help me on this, and my kids, my kids, me and mine, and mine and me, and bless me and mine, and watch over me and mine, right? It's how we pray. For some of you, it's how you attend church, right? Oh, God, did you see? Did you see what I did on Sunday morning? Are you happy? Are you happy that I showed up, that I'm there? I, I, I was there. I, I did it. I went to the sacred place. Did you see that? Are you happy now? Are you happy with me? And that's how we live. Look at me. Look at me. Bless me. For some of us, it's the way that we give, and it's the reason that we give. It's why we give, and it looks so God-centric. And that's how we, we, we really sell it to everybody. Uh, well, it's all about God. You know, it's all about God. That's why I go to church, because it's all about me and God, man. And that's why I pray every day. Why? Because it's about me and God, man. And that's why I give, because it's about me and God. It looks God-centric, but at the end of the day, your approach to religion has this temple model that's been now coming in the back, and Christianity is really what? All about you. That's the temple mind thinking. That's not Jesus' model. You see, temple thinking always gravitates towards rules and rituals. We love that. We love it because it's all about me. And if I can, when I'm not, if I can have these rules, then I know what I can do when I'm not doing good to make things right between God and me, which means you ask yourself this question, what exactly must I do to make things right and keep things right between me and God? And it's a great question, like I said, but eventually in your Christian faith, you've got to move beyond what's in it for me and how do I keep God happy with me? And, and, and because here's the thing, Christians believe, Jesus taught the New Testament followers of Jesus who wrote after Jesus rose from the dead, taught this, that God is love. And that what he did through his son on the cross, we call that the finished work of Jesus. As far as you and him are concerned, he is always fine with you. You are always fine with him. God loves you unconditionally. No conditions. Right? No, 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 Pastor, you don't understand. But I just did this and I just thought this. So I need to run to church right quick and do a ritual. Why? Because what Jesus did wasn't enough? You need to add to it, huh? Okay, for years and years and years, they brought sacrifices to the temple. Temple model, right? And when they did, it appeased their consciences. It made me feel better. And we still want that. Why? Because it's all about, that's the temple way. It is. How is it between you and me, God? Oh, give me a ritual. Can I do a ritual? Give me do what these rules do is they become loophole thinking for us. And we get lost in our lives, we get lost in this. What happens is we we start to always think about, well, what's how is it between me and God? Um 
<coughs> how's it between me and God? I think I'm right. I don't know. He loves me. He loves me not. You know what? But there's this loophole. There's this loophole that I, I can say this. I, uh, uh, um, you know, one of the loopholes at one point in time and still today is, is not just praying a magic prayer, but going, going to the sacred place and confessing. And then they go, oh, you just did this ritual, so you're good. It's good between you and God now. And we love that. We, we love that so much. And then we come out of these religious places, right, these sacred places, after talking to the sacred man, after he explained to us the sacred text. And, and then, guess what? We don't change how we treat other people because we don't feel bad about it anymore. I was just afraid that God was mad at me for the way that I treated you, but I'm not afraid about that anymore because I did the religious ritual. I got the loophole, man, right? So I can still treat my wife like trash, you know, because then I can pray about it later on and I'm not going to feel bad about it anymore. And I have this loophole, and what happens is people on the outside looking in are going, I treat my wife better than you do. And you're saying you have all the answers. I treat people in the world better than you do because all your focus is on you and God and it's all about you. And I'm sitting here, buddy, looking around, seeing there's people that are hurting. There's people that need love. I see those things. I don't have any rituals to make myself better in the mor- feel better in the morning. So when somebody needs love, guess what, Jack? I either give them love or I feel bad about it continuously and continuously and continuously until I finally go, you know what? I'm either just going to be a bad person for the rest of my life or a good person. And I think I just want to be a good person now. And we walk around with our loopholes, right? Listen, that is a problem. And you know what? It's something that I think we need to abandon completely. Because the Jesus model is centered not on you, but the you beside you. See, if you're a Democrat, it's centered on the you to the right of you. And if you're a Republican, the Jesus model centers on the you to the left of you. And if you're a racist, it centers on the you that you don't like and that you have a bad attitude toward and that you consider your enemy. It is centered around them. If you're married, it's centered to the you beside you. If you have kids, it's centered on the you that is beside you. You see, following Jesus is an invitation to leave what's all about you and to embrace what's all about the you beside of you. Isn't that what Jesus did? Right? Constantly laying down his right, constantly looking to the you beside him. He came in the form of a man and he lived this stuff to the point of laying his, not just washing stinky feet and saying, I could be the king. Y'all think that I'm the king. How would a king act? You think he needs to be in a palace. I think he needs to be washing feet. You think he needs to be on a throne. I think he needs to be laying his life down as an example for all. Isn't that kind of what it looked like, the Jesus model, right? And so what happens 
is you have to now embrace this. This is why Jesus says, and all throughout the New Testament, we're invited to love the people the way that our Heavenly Father loved them. This is why he says, this is my commandment. Wait, wait, wait. Don't you have 10 commandments in your religion? Jesus goes, no, that's Moses. Wrong guy. This is me, Jesus. This is my commandment that you love God and it's all about you and God and go to the sacred place and if you do these things, it's cool. Is that what he said? He said, the you beside you. Love one another. How do you love them? As I have loved you. As I was the example. As I did this in front of you. I'm not just telling you to do this. I did this even to the point of death. It's pretty heavy. Pretty amazing. This is why the Apostle Paul says the only thing that counts is faith the only thing? Like, there's a ton of things that I said. And he's like, don't throw everything out. Don't throw those things out. But above all those things, if you just want to be simple, if you want to live a life that it looks like following Jesus, above all things, it is faith expressing itself through love. How are you loving the person next to you, beside you, at work, in your home, in the world? in the world view on social media, right? How does that look, expressing faith, expressing itself through love? Then Paul goes on to say, the entire law is fulfilled. Like he says, all the 630 laws that they used to have, that my people used to have, including the Ten Commandments, the entire law, and Jesus said this as well. He says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. From temple thinking, right? The temple model. This is Jesus' model. This represents a complete 100% departure from temple thinking. This is not temple 201. This isn't let's take the best of both. Well, the temple model was good and Jesus' model was good and let's put them together and make something great. That's not what this is. This is a complete departure. The old covenant model, the temple model, he says that he came and fulfilled that, right? So so let's just say that um, I, I was having financial problems today and after the uh, service, uh, Tishan comes up to me and says, listen, I understand that you're having some financial problems and you you have a bill that needs to be paid that you can't pay. I'm going to go and I'm going to go fulfill that bill for you. And he pays that bill for me, right? Do I still, do I need to add to what he did? Or is it finished? Is it over? Like that bill is, that bill is complete. Like, I don't need to go and, and add more onto it because he said, whatever it is, I don't care if there's interest, whatever. I'm paying that, right? That's what Jesus did to the temple model. <laughs> he, he fulfilled it. He completed it. It's done. We're not using that anymore. We don't need to go back to that anymore. What you need to do now is now 100% embrace the Jesus model. Now, let me illustrate this to you. Do you know why? You should tell the truth. I was watching you 
personal conversation, you and me, why you need a children? You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I know, for sure, for sure. I know why. I know why I need children. Because, because, hey, if you, in the, Bi- in the Bible, it, it's in the Bible, not to lie, thou shalt not lie. That, right? Yeah, Kevin, that, I'm like, yeah, that is, aha, it is a Bible, don't lie. And the Bible, that's what the Bible says. Well, first of all, pause, time out. The Bible doesn't say anything. The Bible's not a person. The Bible's not the third part of the Trinity. We need to stop being Biblians and worshiping the Bible. We need the Bible and we love the Bible. Yes, amen. But the Bible doesn't say anything. God inspired people to write down letters, to write down things, and they said, they said these things, right? So we're, you're, you're now talking about, oh, yeah, yeah oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. It says, it says, thou shalt not lie. That was in the, the, the Ten Commandments. That's that like Moses stuff. But God helped him to say that. God told him to say that, right? So, so God, God says, don't lie. So we don't lie. That could be your answer, right? But that's the wrong answer because that's temple thinking. Do you know why you should always tell the truth? Listen, temple thinking says you tell the truth because the Bible says you should always tell the truth. The Jesus model says tell the truth because when you lie, it hurts the person that you lied to or lied about. That's real simple. (laughs) It's not a rule. We care about people. God is love. God created us in his image. We have love inside of us. And if we lie, it hurts people, right? I mean, I didn't raise my kids going, don't lie. Why? Because there's a rule. Like, did you see when you lied about your sister? Do you see her crying? It hurts her, and I want you to love her, and I want her to love you. And y'all are siblings forever. Family is first. That makes sense to us, right? That's very elementary, and it's very simple. But guys, can I tell you, this Jesus model is so simple. That's what's so brilliant about it, right? We tell the truth because if we lie, it hurts somebody. When we tell the truth, it blesses somebody. The reason Christians shouldn't lie has nothing to do with the fact that God said it in a book Thou shalt not lie. The reason God said it in the Bible is, is because that is a thing, that is a rule that there was, but it's ultimately because God loved, we are all his children. He loves his children, and he knows that he is concerned with the people, the children that he has that you will be tempted to lie to. That makes way more sense. Do you know why we're supposed to be generous? Yes, Pastor, I do. Because if I give a dollar to God, he'll give me 10 back. Well, <laughs> well, the Bible says something about, I remember the Bible says, put God first and my money and something about um, a cheerful heart and that and that it'll make God mad if if I don't give, and I don't want God mad to be mad at me, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give. No, <laughs> no, it's way more simple. Do you know why, as Christians, we're supposed to be generous? 
It's because when you're generous, it helps the person that you're generous to. It's about loving the you next to you. It's centered around the you next to you. So there was a need. You saw that need. And you were generous. And when you were, it really blessed that person. That's why. That's why. I'll tell you, done deal. Finished. He's always going to love you. He can't love you anymore or any less. That's a done deal. Finished. When you give, he doesn't love you anymore. When you don't give, he's not mad at you. He loves me. He loves me not. I got so sick of playing that game and that temple-minded stuff that it almost ruined my whole life. It burned me out, and I got into an ugly place. That's not how I live anymore. He loves me. 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 These are his people. I see a need. I'm generous because when I'm generous, it blesses the people that I'm generous to. Very simple, right? Do you know why you shouldn't talk bad about somebody? Oh, yeah, I know. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not gossip, pastor. Ha <laughs> ha! So something about malicious talk or anger speech, I don't know, but it's in there. And if I say something bad about somebody, then God's going to be mad at me. And that's why I don't do it. That's why we shouldn't do it. No, no, no. Guys, the reason that we should not talk bad about somebody is because when you talk bad about somebody, it hurts that person. Why shouldn't you gossip? Because it says in the Bible not to gossip? No, it's because when you gossip, right, about somebody else, and it hurts that person that you're gossiping, you cannot love your neighbor when you're gossiping about them. And we only have one command, love your neighbor. That doesn't fit into gossiping. Isn't that so simple? And we know this in our hearts, but a lot of times we go, you know what, I'll go ahead and do it. And then we get into, you know what, uh, just because they deserve it and I'm just going to do it, you know, and I just feel like there's a lot of things going on in my life. So I'm just going to get into this. And then we, we just have some type of habit and then we get going, then we feel really bad about this. And then the first thing we think is I don't need to go and apologize to that lady or that guy. The first thing we need to do is we need to run to church and we need to perform a religious ritual so we feel better about ourselves. And we never apologize to that person. We got to get away from that so far away. Listen to me. The bottom line is New Testament imperatives. This in, 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 it, uh, includes all of the commands, the whole New Testament. New Testament imperatives are just examples of how to demonstrate your love for God by loving others. That's how you love God. By loving others. This explains when people go looking for loopholes and kind of looking for workarounds and why, well, you know, I just feel really uncomfortable and I feel bad that I gossip or I feel really bad that I said bad things and I, you know, well, here, oh, I found my loophole and now I don't have to make things right. And I'm telling you, people outside of the church have seen this for so many years till they're sick of it. And you know what it produces? These religious relig rituals, you know what it produces? Hypocrites. And you know what people don't like? Hypocrites. So let's abandon it. 
Let's get away from it. You might be here this morning and go, whoa, 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 just a second. I've been in church all my life. Holy, I, I, you're offending me. This is really messed up with my line of thinking and my granddaddy's granddaddy and his grand and granddaddy's granddaddy. Every night we got down and we were taught to get on our knees and we were taught to ask for forgiveness for our sins. And this is the way that, and if it was good enough for him, it was good enough for me. And it just seems like you are getting to a place it's making me mad because you're just making this thing too simple. You're oversimplifying things. It cannot be this simple. And it, you know what? It really just seems to me like you're just dumbing it down to just a love fest. Like, like you know, what is this? We're all just going to be hippies for Jesus now? You think that's how it works, Pastor? You know, you think we can get to a place where all of a sudden we're just living and we're just loving people and it's just that simple? Well, I'm glad that you're, you're thinking that way. You're thinking, I'm just trying to create a Woodstock for Christians, but I'm not. The Jesus model, please hear what I'm about to say because this is huge. The Jesus model is simple. It is less complicated. But here's where the rubber meets the road. It is far more demanding. And that's what you've been trying to get the results out of your, your rituals and your temple model, and you cannot find them. But you will find the results that you're looking for in the Jesus model. See, at the epicenter of the Christian faith is a man who the closest to him believed that he came from God. At the epicenter of the Christian faith is a man that those who knew him best believe he actually was the son of God. At the epicenter of all of this teaching is a man who lived what we're talking about, who did good, who loved people. However, it ended up with him covered in his own blood, covered in the saliva of other men. That's what it looks like. That's how far it goes. That's why I'm telling you, it is far more demanding. Temple mindset will always get you to find a loophole. And temple mindset will always get you to find a workaround. But when you live this Jesus model, guys, when you start to look at the you beside of you, it's going to be really hard for you to loophole Philippians 2.5 in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Oh, well, in this situation where I'm treating my spouse like trash, I need to have his same mindset. Would Jesus run to a temple right now and try to perform a religious ritual? Would he try to sacrifice, bring a sacrifice so that he could feel better? Or would he go to that spouse right now and apologize and wash their feet? There's no loopholes right? It's hard to find a, a loophole for love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Think about your enemies right now. <laughs> I'll just say this. 
I remember when we as a church, we went to the Pride Festival. And we got there, and one of our brothers and sisters was across the street, behind a barricade, representing God to these people, thousands of gay, lesbian people that, that it's the whole LGBTQ community, bisexual, um, trans, transgender, thousands of them are walking through. A bullhorn. And he's going, God hates you. <laughs> your dad, your, your father, your, your earthly father hates you. Your earthly mother hates you. You are an abomination. He, I'm not saying this is how God sees it, but this is how he saw God see it. He saw these people as an enemy. And later on, if he had any conscience, he had to feel terrible, but he had a religious ritual he could go to. And he thought it made him feel good between him and God. It's right with us. There's no loophole for love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. I tell you right now, I do not see that community. And he was representing that for sure. But this guy did. And he was representing us. You know what we did? We had a big banner printed that said, I'm sorry religion and hating you, hating you, for always going to religion and hating you. And I had a shirt that said pastor hugs. And then uh, there were some that had a shirt that had said mom hugs. And there were some that said grandmas that had grandma hugs and sibling hugs. And we hugged people all day long. And we cried like this together. And they would say, thank you. <laughs> Not once did they, were they ever mean towards us or even though one of our own was across the street hating them. Not once did we, did they ever, because I can tell you so many of them were walking through going, listen, y'all kicked me out. Or, you know, I never had anything to do with you, but I thought about it for a little bit. And all I have seen is y'all cannot treat anybody very good. You're just concerned how it is between you and God. And I don't want anything to do with you. And I'm like, I was that guy for so many years. You can ask Pastor Jared. You can ask my wife. I was that guy for so long. And it was a anchor. It was a weight on me. How about this one? Where's the loophole for this one? Be merciful. How merciful? Just as your father is merciful. Wow. My friends, this is why the Christian faith is so spectacular because following Jesus, when you do that, you'll find that there's no place to hide. There are no loopholes. There are no shortcuts. There are no workarounds. Relational situation, we intuitively know what to do, how to answer this question in this situation of my life. Right now, we know how to answer this question in every situation. It's just common sense. In this situation, what does love require of me? Suppose we won't do it. And we've, we've become habitual about that. And am I 
throwing spears, you know, this morning? Absolutely not. I, for I've been the chief of that. I have, but I say no longer. In that, am I saying that because we have done this and we have misrepresented God or we have done all these things that I just said, that God is mad at us? By no means at all. Even if we've lived this temple, he is good with us. He loves us all the way. So in a response to his love, why not just ask the question and live by this? In this instance, what does love require me? I mean, you can Bible verse yourself an Old Testament verse and find every loophole. And all you have to do is how does it's just going to ruin your life in trying to do that when all you have to do is how does it look like to follow Jesus' one command to love the you beside me as he has loved me? Very, very simple. I would ask today, can you imagine what would happen in your relationships if you just started living that simply? If you completely got away from temple and went completely Jesus model, what does love require me in this situation? Can you imagine what your family would be like living through the filter of what does love require me? Imagine our city, if our city. Man, one of the, the greatest things that we love about moving to this city is the, the diversity, the people, the diversity of people from all different cultures and different uh, economic backgrounds, and we love that. What if we just embraced that type? Of, and I know what I've experienced, and I know where I've been. We just took a pause and said, I know what I've been taught, and I know what I've experienced, and I know where I've been, and, and, and I know what my family believed when I was raised in that family, and I know what my granddaddy all used to say, but just for one month, I am going to dare to just live this in every situation, what does love require of me? And here's the part that could bore you to tears, but it's so fascinating to me that in the first century church, when they met, please go in a time machine now to the, 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 the first generation after those people that we read about in the New Testament, and they're moving forward, and they have no Bible For another, it's going to be another 250 years before that is brought together and called a canon. And a lot of them can't even read if they did have it. And we have slaves, and we have masters, and we have people that, and all they have to live in towels, and people that are Jews, and, and all they have to live by daily. <laughs> it's not what we. You know, Biblians, these people that have now, we, we worship the Bible as the third part of the Trinity. They didn't even have the Bible. All they had was what had been passed down to them was the teachings of Jesus. My command to you is love one another as I have loved you. That's why Christianity survived until 
Constantine hijacked it. Right? That's why against all odds, all odds, and that's what we're called to do. And I believe it can happen again. And I, I know you're here today, and you might be thinking, you know what, Kevin? You're really messing with my, my thinking, my categories, my theological beliefs this morning. <clears throat> it kind of sounds like you're just all making it about people. It's just people. Even Pastor Jared said a couple weeks ago, it's not... It's not vertical anymore. It's not about, he, he was literally saying to me like he's saying it's not about God. And, and this morning, it sounds like you're saying the same thing. And I grew up in the church I grew up in, the family that the beliefs that I had, that it was all about God. It's all about the, the glory of God. Isn't that what it's all about? I'm glad you asked that question because Jesus answered this question. And what I'm going to read to you next, I just hope it really messes with you this morning. I hope it has an impact on you. The same impact that I think it had on the first century listeners. So one day Jesus is teaching and here's what he says. He says this, he says, when the son of man, who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. And you're like, yep, that's what I'm talking about. I remember reading this. The glory, the glorious throne. There it is. The glory. This is, okay, now I'm going to listen to you. He's, comes in, he's coming in His glory. It's about the glory of God. And all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And you're thinking, well, okay, you kind of lost me there because I don't know anything about shepherds or sheeps and goats, but back then they did. The people he was talking to did. They completely understand what he was talking about right there. He will separate the sheep from the goat. He will put the sheep on his right. Everybody say right. Everybody say right. Uh-oh, and he will put the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, everybody say right. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you as the creation, prepared for you as the creation of the world. And all the people on the what side? The right side, they are thinking, oh my gosh, we're so lucky. We are so blessed. How did this happen, Jesus? What did we do to deserve this? How, how, why was I selected to be in the right group? Why is this now an inheritance? inheritance I have in your kingdom. And Jesus is like, I'll tell you why. What does he say next? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And one guy looks at the other guy and goes, Bob, do you remember us ever giving? I never came here. He's like, yeah, I, know. I this is my first time to ever see Jesus. We, you know, this is the first time I ever came here. He's like, yeah, I don't really get that. And then he, Jesus says, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. He goes, do you remember giving him a drink? And he's like, like I said, the first time, I'm, I'm, like I'm here and I'm glad, you know, that I'm seeing Jesus for the first time and I'm on his right side and, and we're in the cool kid section, but I don't ever give him a drink. He says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. He's like, he's got to be losing his mind because I would remember if Jesus stayed at our house. <laughs> Jesus definitely never stayed at our house. And he said, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick. Did you know Jesus could get sick? Jesus can get sick. I didn't know Jesus could get sick. I guess Jesus can get sick. He was sick. 
What'd you have, Jesus? What'd you get sick with? I don't know. He's not saying what he got sick. But he says, when he was sick, you look after me. He says, I was in prison. Did Jesus' mama know he was in prison? I don't ever remember Jesus going to prison. He says, I was in prison and you came to visit me. And these people are thinking, you know what? I was a follower of Jesus. That's just true. And many times visited Jesus. I felt like I visited Jesus. I visited God. I went to the sacred place. I, I visited sacred God to have a relationship with Christianity. I pretty much kept trying to get God to have a relationship with me, but he's somehow saying that the entire time I was looking out for him. Then he says, then the righteous. So that's the people on the right, the people in the group that he's talking to will answer and they will say, Lord, this is amazing. When did we, listen to words, when did we, there's, who are they talking to? Jesus. When did we see you? Who? Jesus, when did we see you? And Jesus answers them. Because they say, when did you see, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick in a prison or go visit you? And when we think about this, many of us in our religion, in our religious walk, we've gotten to places where we, it's almost like the closest, think of the closest time you've ever been to God. The closest time you've ever been to Jesus. Maybe you went to a conference or a camp. And there's awesome worship. Maybe it was here at the church and awesome worship. You're like, man, I was so close to God. It felt like I was in his presence. Right, or maybe you were attending a, um, a Bible study and, and they opened up a, a passage of Scripture that really just, there was a, a, a hard place in your heart and it just healed your heart. You're like, in that moment, I, I felt I could feel his presence like he was there, like I met Jesus. And Jesus says, those are great things, and you should have those things. But let me ask you a question. When you were in that worship experience, and you could feel my presence, and you were overcome with gratitude, who got the most out of that? Was it me, or was it you? And we would say, well, I mean, thinking about it, walking away, it really was me. Yeah, yeah, but the time that they opened up the scripture to you and you felt like you were in my presence and, and it was just a healing of your heart, was that about me or was that about you? And you start thinking, oh, that, that, <laughs> that one kind of was about me too. I, I really was the one that got the most out of that. And Jesus is like, man, that is good and that is great. And I'm not saying you need to throw that out and stop doing those things. And everybody said, Amen. 
But the message of Jesus is the essence of following Jesus is that it's not about us because Jesus goes on and he says, and the king will reply to those people that said, how did we see you? How did we meet you? How did we do all of these things for you? Give you a drink, clothe you, feed you. And he says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, and many of us have heard this a hundred times, we've read it a hundred times, but I hope you don't. For me. So this entire time, Pastor Jared, we've been trying to climb this ladder that was set up as a trap. When if we wanted to really enter into this relationship on a whole new level, it has to be centered on the you. Beside of you. See, the Jesus model centers on the you beside of you. Your devotion to God is illustrated. It is demonstrated. It is authenticated by your love of God. Oh, hallelujah. God, I love you. No, by your love for others. This is not a trap. This is glorious. This is heavenly. How many parents do we have here today? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Let me ask you a question. Would it be safe to say that you love your kids with all of your heart, right? All your heart, unconditionally. You love them so, so much. Would it also be to say, to say the best way to bless you would not be if somebody came and they bought you a gift and they presented you with that gift. But without asking, they blessed your kids. I, I, I'll tell you, that, that's that's been the truth for me. People have come and, and given me gifts and or, or said something to me that really blessed me. But when somebody was talking about my kid or blessing my kid, I was like, oh, we're friends for life, man. Right? Like, that blessed me. It, would it be safe to say the best way to honor you is if somebody blessed and encouraged and did something to grow your kids, Right? Why is that? It's because whatever you do for one of them, you do for me. Oh, that'll preach. That's what Jesus just said. And all the people around you, even the people that you consider your enemy, are his children. So what would be the best way <laughs> to love God? Why do you think we are the way that we are? That to bless us the most is to bless our kids. Could it be that that's because the Heavenly Father's that way? And could it be that we are created in His image and that's the way we are this way? Are light bulbs starting to go off anywhere? My friends, what if it is this simple? What if life is as simple as in every situation? What does love require of me? And to honor God and to love God with my whole heart is to honor those around me and to love them with my whole heart. See, that.
That's what brings God's glory. That's what makes his kingdom come on this earth. His will be done. And the harder that you are to love people and the more honoring that you are to other people, guess what? The more loving and honoring it is to our heavenly father. What if we got that right? What if we just got this one simple thing right? A four-letter word, love. I'm telling you, it would change your family. It would change your marriage. It would change your workplace. I think it could even change the world. So next week, guys, we're going to wrap up this series But I promise you, we've only begun the discussion today. We've only begun it. 